invite you to open your Bible this morning to uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6. We are in between sermon series right now. And so uh, when that happens, I find myself just sort of sliding back to uh, maybe my most favorite uh, book in the Bible, the book of Romans, uh, where there's so many just magnificent gospel truths unpacked for us. We, this past week in high school theology class, we're we're going through Tim Keller's book on uh, making sense of God, an excellent book. I highly recommend it to you. But uh, we we dealt with freedom this last week, and it's a a topic worth uh, continuing to uh, unfold. And so we're looking at gospel freedom this morning, Romans chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 19, so just about the whole chapter, and we'll be looking at verses 12 and following. Paul has laid out the wonder of the gospel of justification, particularly chapters 4 and 5. And here in chapter 6, the wonderful truth of gospel sanctification, the ability to walk in the freedom of obedience. So let's pick it up, chapter 6, verse 1. Let's give our attention to God's Word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sins. A magnificent statement. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, which le- or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who once were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to law, uh, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh God in heaven, uh, we need to hear a word from you today. Uh, We, Lord, need to have ears to hear and and hearts to receive. We need to have the ability to believe 
that this is the truth about our own lives in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would take these words and engrave them on our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you've ever considered how many of the trials or the yearnings, maybe I could say, of your life are yearnings to be free. If you think, uh, if you've said to yourself in the last week or so, boy, I just wish we had some more money. Uh, I, I highly doubt you wished you had more money so you could just look at it, but, uh, but the freedom that money gives, wouldn't it be nice to have uh, more money so that you had the freedom to travel, the freedom to pay off expenses, the freedom maybe to add the addition on it, whatever it might be. Uh, there's freedom involved. Uh, maybe if you've been sick and maybe sick for a long time, uh, you don't just want to be well. Uh, you want the freedom that wellness provides, the freedom to walk around, the freedom uh, to, to do certain things and, and experience certain things. Uh, if you think about the trials maybe that you're experiencing, uh, the flip side of those trials would be the freedom that uh, those blessings would provide. We are made as people who yearn to be free. America, of course, is the land of the free. Um, it's part of our sort of national DNA. It's a DNA that's got um, incredibly corrupted, um, as uh, Keller makes so clear in, in uh, his book, that uh, when people talk about freedom today, and we still do, uh, we mean something quite a bit different than what our founding fathers uh, had originally in mind. Uh, for our founding fathers... Freedom meant the freedom to live in this created world according to its created design, free from the uh, constriction of a tyrannical government, to follow the dictates of your conscience and live within the boundaries that God had created for human flourishing. Uh, they were able to appeal to the fact that all men have been endowed by their creator. There's a creator God. And uh, the rights that we have have been given to us by God. Well, the, what do you do, you see, when there is no God and no boundaries? There are no uh, uh, God-given lanes for human flourishing. Well, that's the world that we have today. There are no boundaries to observe at all. In fact, freedom is the freedom from any boundaries. Keller says we are considered to be free because there is no cosmic order. There is no essential human nature, and there are no truths, no moral absolutes uh, that we must kneel to. And that's the conviction of the culture we live in today, that freedom means free to do whatever you like with no boundaries at all. The only boundary that people would maybe suggest is that you're not free to hurt other people. But that boundary quickly gives away if what you want, you want deeply enough. Uh, abortion would be exhibit A. That, uh, the idea that you're free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm anyone comes to a screeching halt when it comes to abortion because you are actually free to, to harm people profoundly. Uh, the, the father of the child, uh, the child particularly, but even your own self as uh, evidence shows how damaging it is. Uh, the idea of that you, um, the gender discussion that's happening in our culture today means that uh, you do not, uh, there should be no restrictions even to your own biology. You're not, you're not constrained by your God-given biology. And it does not matter who it harms, uh, including yourself, but also uh, others. Uh, freedom is freedom, complete 
uh, unbounded freedom to nothing, uh, to do exactly what, whatever you want. So, so it's unbounded by anything except your own desire. What you want to do. What your flesh likes to do. And so the freedom that of our country is, is the complete enslavement to how you feel, how you think, what you want. And the land of the free has become the land of the enslaved. We, uh, the more free that we are becoming, the more miserable and depressed and enslaved we are becoming. Suicide rates are soaring. Human flourishing is not happening because we bought a lie when it comes to freedom. Well, praise God, we as God's covenant people, all by grace, we know that there's good news for a sin-enslaved world, uh, that, that we can stand in the midst of this, this, this uh, society, this culture that's gone amuck when it comes to freedom, and we can promise there's a better way, that God has revealed himself in Scripture to be a God of true liberation, true freedom. Psalm 102, verse 19, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. that good to know that God is a God of liberation. Uh, salvation is uh, freedom from the bondage of sin and, and the enslavement of death and freedom to life and joy and peace forever. That's, that's the gospel. So when Jesus begins his ministry in Luke chapter 4, he opens the scroll to, of Isaiah and reads there, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and here's the good news, to proclaim liberty for the captives and liberty to those who are oppressed. Not speaking of social justice uh, concepts of oppression, but uh, biblical, theological, redemptive concepts of oppression. Uh, that, that God sees people groaning under the burden of sin, groaning under the sentence of death. And that God in Jesus Christ has come to set people then free, truly free, through a redeemer, one who buys us back and sets us free. And so what we have here in Romans chapter 6 is the Christian's declaration of independence, the Christian's declaration of freedom, as Paul continues uh, to unfold the riches of the gospel. As I've said, in chapters 5, um, if you're not familiar with Romans chapter 5, just do yourself a favor again and read it and, and let, um, let your soul just chew on the goodness of God there, that at the right time, God uh, sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it's such great news that, that we've been justified by faith, and because we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through Jesus Christ and through him we, we have obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. And there's this, uh, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, that's Romans chapter 5. The, the wonderful good news of free justification where God declares sinners innocent on the basis of the objective righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you freely as a gift, not earned. 
The problem is we tend to draw a line between chapters 5 and chapter 6 and, and where we are willing to accept that uh, the, uh, we're saved by a free gift of righteousness in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, when it comes to sanctification, it's time to get to work. Well, it is time to get to work, but not the way that we, often, that we usually think of it. Uh, the work is to, to begin running in the paths of freedom, to take hold of what Christ has actually accomplished for us, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, this morning, that there is a grace that not only washes us clean, but empowers us um, to new life. You'll see that it, Paul has begun that discussion at the end of chapter 5. If you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, uh, turn to chapter 5, just look, notice how he closes out that chapter, talking about law and grace, verse 20, now the law that is God's law came in to increase the trespass, to show the wickedness of the sin. But where sin increased, grace abounded. And not just abounded, abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that we're talking this morning about the reign of grace. Uh, what it looks like when we are under the wonderful rule of God's grace. Uh, I have to admit, growing up in the church, uh, I, obedience did not sound like freedom to me. Obedience sounded like a lot of rules, things that you couldn't do, uh, when we're not allowed to do, or things that you must do. Uh, it, we knew it was a good thing, it just, just wasn't a pleasant thing, sort of like cod liver oil, right? Really unpleasant, but good for you. In fact, the more unpleasant it was, probably the better uh, for you uh, it could be. Well, that is not the way the Bible looks at obedience at all. It's not the way the psalmist looked at obedience. Oh, how I delight in your law. I love, love your law. I love to do your will. It's not how Jesus looked at, at obedience. It was his food to do the Father's will. He delighted in every step of obedience, even obedience to the cross, where he chose it, right, for the joy set before him. And it's not how Paul thinks about obedience. Uh, his goal is to help us to see that it's what we get to do in Christ because we've been set free. Um, some, one of my uh, hobbies or things that I like to read are, are things related to World War II. And uh, I just read several novels in the last year or so about uh, the experience of people under the tyranny of, of uh, Nazi uh, Germany and the fear that reigned, uh, the death that was everywhere, uh, the, the awful concentration camps, and, and the incredible experience then when the Allies finally made their way into uh, and liberated towns and, and burst through the gates of the concentration camps. And people were finally released from the tyranny of death. And the, the rule of the Nazi guards uh, no longer pertained to them. And they could run through those open gates and move into life again. Well, that is the experience that Christians should have. That we've not just been forgiven, but we have been freed. 
That, that, that in Christ, the, the gates of the prison camp have been blown open, and we are now invited to run in the freedom purchased by Christ to obey our Lord. If the Son sets you free, Jesus says, John 8, you are free indeed. And I wonder this morning if that's how you experience your Christian faith. If that's how you experience your Christian life, that what you're battling for is, is uh, the freedom that is yours, the experience of that freedom that you have in Jesus Christ to actually love people, to actually die to self, the freedom you have to be kind and to be gracious and the freedom to forgive. Let's look this morning then at the reign of grace. And then... Um, we're going to pick it up. There's two things here that I'm going to just highlight under the reign of grace. There's a great promise, and then there's a wonderful status, a position. Uh, the beauty of the gospel is that calls to holiness, which, which uh, if you have, we have a legal spirit sort of by nature, and calls to holiness so easily, quickly sound like just try harder and do more. And, but in the gospel, it doesn't work that way. The gospel, a call, a call to holiness is always rooted in the assurance of holiness. It's why the, 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 the name for a Christian in the New Testament is saint. Uh, one of the um, great things to read in the Bible is to, to the saints who are in Corinth. And then you read about these saints in Corinth who are doing really unsaintly sorts of things. And yet be, their identity is not to you struggling schmucks in Corinth that, that desperately need to wake up and pay attention. It's to all the saints in Corinth, loved by God, called to be saints. Right? We, just, we, just, we read it this morning. Loved by God and called to be saints. All these struggling, sinning people. And yet their definition, you see, because of the gospel is they are God's holy ones. And Paul reminds the, us in uh, verses uh, 13 of this wonderful promise. Uh, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Why? Verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And notice what he's, what he's, what he's done. And there, Well, if you look in chapter 6, verse, um, uh, come on, I'll find it. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter. There we are. So he, he says that, that, that Christ, verse 9, Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And we can say, wonderful, praise the Lord. Uh, death has no more say over Jesus. He's destroyed death. Well, Paul now says that uh, death and sin will have no dominion over you. That Christ's experience of victory, freedom over death, over the dominion of death, well, we're, we're brought right into that experience because we're not under law but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. And Paul personifies sin. It's this, it's this power that's intent on mastering you like, like the, the guards at the concentration camp insistent on ordering you and, and forbidding you and then driving you and destroying you, making you use your body as a weapon of unrighteousness. 
And Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, if you remember, says that's the life we used to live under that power. We once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Just in bondage, you see, to you, to, to your sinful um, nature, in bondage to your, to your sinful passions and desires, in bondage to the way you thought. That's all that the, re- the, the, the your whole world and reality and the way that you lived was all uh, flowed out of just this, the broken, lost, sinful, corrupted self. And, and Paul says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive, brought you out of that bondage. And as, so as we fight, you see, for godliness, it's so important that we recognize that we're fighting from a, from a, a status, a position of freedom. You're no longer under dominion. And that's not just a future promise, that one day in the sweet by and by, it's a present promise. Sin shall not have dominion over you is, is, is not just something you can hope for someday, but something that we can experience now. And, and it's not a conditional promise either. We can tend to think, well, if you fight really hard and really work at it, then you will be able to master sin. But until then, it's going to master you. That's not the gospel. That's every self-help religion out there. The gospel is... Uh, Receive as a gift from Jesus Christ the fact that sin is not your master. Now, he's going to shout like he is. He's going to act like he is. He's going to threaten like he is. But the gospel truth is he's not. If Jesus Christ has conquered death and sin and it has no dominion over him, and then it does not have any dominion over those who are in him. Christ is not separated from his sheep. Douglas Moo says, this is a promise that is valid for every believer at the present time. Sins shall certainly not be your master. Not now, not ever. Now that is a truth we have to take by faith. Because at times it does not feel that way. This is the truth that you take when you've just messed up. You've just given in to the desire of your flesh. You've lost your temper. You've just lusted or lied or given in to your besetting sin. And it feels like it has dominion. Well, it has power. But it doesn't have dominion. It's not your master. You do not have to obey it. In fact, uh, when you sin, when you fail... It is great to lay hold of the gospel truth and, and, and remind the devil, um, I have sinned, and uh, I'm certain you're happy about that. just want to remind you that I am a saint in Jesus Christ, I belong to Jesus Christ, and you are a destroyed enemy. You're a defeated foe. Sin is not my master. And, and then run again to the Lord. You see, Paul is just trying to pound home the fact that uh, we have a great promise and a great position in Jesus Christ. We are no longer under law, but we are under grace. Now, when Paul talks about law, uh, he's talking about not just the Ten Commandments, all good, uh, all given to reveal our sin, 
Paul says, the law came, thou shalt not covet. I was doing pretty well, he said. I was, I was a good, I was a good uh, tribe, uh, son of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee as to, as to legalistic righteousness, blameless. And then the law came and says, thou shalt not covet. And sin sprang to life, Romans chapter 7. Because he realized he was a deeply covetous man. And he realized that if he breaks, to break one part of the law is to break the, the, the whole law. That he was exposed as a sinner. That's what the law does. But, but when Paul talks about law, he doesn't just talk about these commands of God. He talks about the, the rule or principle of law. The, the governing authority of law as the, the principle whereby God relates to men. So... Uh, it's, like, it's like the U.S. government has the authority to levy taxes. And because the U.S. government has the authority to levy taxes, you have the responsibility to pay taxes. And if you don't pay the taxes, the government has the ability to penalize you painfully. That's the law. It, it, it makes demands, and, and the demands are just. It is not unjust for the U.S. government to... Uh, to, pay, to ask you to pay taxes, command you pay taxes. It is not unjust for the law to command that you obey. It's God's law. And there's a penalty if you don't obey. The soul that sins shall surely die. And you might be able to um, get away with not paying your taxes. I wouldn't recommend it, but you might be able to get away with it. You are not going to get away uh, from the penalty of the law. Every soul that sins will die, which is why every single person dies. No one gets away with it. And that's the rule of the law. That's being under the law. Here's the command. Do it and you will live. Disobey and you will die. You've disobeyed. You will die. Not just physically, but eternally under that rule. But Paul says you're not under that rule any longer. And so you've been set free uh, to live under a different governing authority, the authority of grace. I just, it's been in the news the last couple of weeks, this, this large caravan of, of these poor people coming up from Honduras um, to, to just trying to flee the corruption and the uh, oppression and poverty, the hopelessness of their homeland. Uh, the, why are they coming this way? Because they, they've heard that there's freedom in America, that, that there are blessings to be had here in America. And, and, but they run up against uh, law and, 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 and a border. Well, the wonder of the gospel, you see, is, is that there actually is a land where we can go, where, where we're free from the corruption and the oppression and the hopelessness of our native land. And, and, and you can cross over into this new land of blessing so that, that the, the oppression and, and the... Uh, Corruption of the, and the laws of that old land have no more claim on you. They, it, it can't come and get you. You've crossed the border. Um, so there's no, there's no walls. Everyone is invited, but there is a door. Right? Jesus Christ. No man comes unto the Father but by me. But if you come into this new land through Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, you've entered into a land of freedom. And the law, as a governing principle has no more claim on you. You now are in the land of grace. And so Paul wants us to realize that this is what it means to be a Christian. The dominion of sin is broken. 
Because you're not under the law anymore. The banner over your head is grace. The disposition of God is grace. Psalm 103, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not reward us according to our iniquities. Is that how, you, is that how we live? Don't we live so easily as though God does reward us according to our iniquities? That the operating principle is still law? So that if we're, if we're doing okay, we tend to become proud. And if we're not doing okay, if we're just honest with ourselves, then we tend to despair. You see, that neither one of pride or despair, neither one is godliness, neither one is faith. We sort of have a climate, I think, in, in West Michigan, Dutch Reformed Christianity. I can say that because I, I'm a child of it. Uh, where sort of despair is godliness. Right? If you really feel miserable about yourself, you're probably a pretty good person. That's not faith. That's not, that's not Paul's message in Romans 6. You know, self-loathing is not next to godliness. The gospel is so much better than that. Right? Self-loathing is just, is just frustrated pride. The gospel is you've been set Free. Why won't sin be your master? Because you are in a new position. Jesus is your master. And you belong to him. And you're robed in his righteousness. And God deals with you according to his obedience. And now because that is true, now there's a new way to walk. A newness of life. What then, he says in verse 15, are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. He keeps asking this question. Because the gospel sounds too good to be true. Can it really be true that God just deals with us according to grace and not according to our, our sin? And, and, and if that's true, well, then why wouldn't people just sin freely? This is the problem the Roman Catholic Church had with the Reformation. The, the, one, of the, one of the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church said the great heresy of the Reformation is the heresy of assurance. If you tell people that they can be justified freely apart from anything they do but because of the work of Jesus Christ and that their eternal salvation doesn't hinge on what they do but what Christ has done, why would people obey? Why would they obey? Well, they would obey because God has planted a new law within their heart. If you know Jesus Christ, you have a hunger for freedom. There's a, there's a new there's a new desire that's been planted within you. That's, that's, the, that's the beauty of regeneration. That's what, that's what God does. I, I will place a heart of flesh within you. Take out the heart of stone so that you suddenly care about the things of God and you grieve your sin and you, you are hungry to be made like Jesus Christ. You've been set free, Paul says, from sin and have become slaves to righteousness, the wonderful, the beautiful slavery of obedience. You see, freedom from sin is a freedom to righteousness. Keller points out in his book that the freedom of our, of our world today, it's just, it's a negative freedom. It's freedom from Freedom from rules, freedom from any outside authority or objective moral standard. But it's not a freedom to anything other than to serve yourself, which is a pitiful way to live. But the gospel, you see, it's, it's freedom from the, the bondage and the death of, 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 of being under the law, but it's a freedom to it's a freedom to do what your heart hungers to do. 
You can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually learn how to love people. To actually really care for people. We can learn how to be patient and gracious and thankful and kind. And, and, and if there's no desire in your heart for those things this morning, I just, I just beg you to ask the Lord to wake you up and to, and to stir up that, uh, the heart of faith within you. May the Holy Spirit make you soft and tender. How much happiness has your selfishness brought you? How much peace has, has your, uh, your, your anxiety and your sense of needing to control things? How much peace has that brought in your life? Paul will talk about that. What, what's been the fruit of that way of life? There's no fruit. But Jesus, you see, invites us into the fruit and the freedom of a transformed heart and a new way of living. You see, true, what, is it, what is true freedom for a fish? Boys and girls, what's freedom for a fish? Is freedom for a fish to be able to, to walk on land or to flop around in a mud puddle? That's not freedom for a fish, is it? Freedom for a fish is free to swim, free to experience the glories of the ocean or the, or the lake or the stream. To, that's, that's where a fish flourishes. Well, it's the same for us. God has created us to glorify him, to live in in the ocean of his, of his presence and his blessings, in the ocean of his love. And that's where we swim, that's where we run free. That's what freedom looks like. And so, and that's the work that God has done. That's the point Paul's making in Romans chapter six, which is why he gives thanks. It's an interesting verse. Thanks be to God, verse 17. That you who once were slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching and haven't been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God. Why is he thanking God for their sanctification? Because their sanctification is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. Having been set free from sin. Now, you got to love the verb tense there, aorist. So something that's happened in the past, it's a participle, an ongoing reality that we're experiencing we live in the reality of having been set free from sin. That's you if you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, you see, that's exactly what the gospel is about. That Jesus Christ has come to set you free from death to life. Having been set free. So no matter, friends, what the devil might suggest, no matter how you might feel, if you are in Christ, you have been. Past tense, set free, and you live now, present tense, in the freedom of grace. Sin has no dominion. So how should we live? Let's wrap up. Well, thank the Lord for the gift of sanctification. When's the last time you thanked God that you are free to say no to yourself and you're free to die to self and you're free to move into love and thankfulness and generosity and kindness. Do you ever thank God for that? Do you realize that Paul does? The, the, the angels marvel at it. Have you, do you thank God for the work that he's doing in making you like Christ? And then laying hold of the gospel to fight sin, the real sin of, of your life and, and, and my life in the assurance of victory in Jesus and in the assurance of freedom in Jesus. That, the, that sin is not my master. You can tell the devil to get lost. You really can. To leave you alone. 
that you don't belong to him and you don't have to obey him. And you say the same thing to your sinful flesh, that I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. And then fight against fear and shame and failure with the truth of grace, gospel grace, that we, that we become happy warriors in this fight for sanctification. We become happy warriors because we are already free in Jesus Christ. And that we lay hold then of the means that God has given to help us to grow. That God hasn't left just us with a good message. He's given us means. He's given you both a glorious good, a promised gospel promise and a new status in Jesus. But, but he's given you means of grace, worship and, and preaching and prayer and sacraments. These are means that God has given to you to, to happily lay hold of. He's given you a fellowship in the body. He's given you brothers and sisters around you to help you. We don't have to do this by ourselves. I love our small group Bible studies and, and discipling groups for men and women and youth group and counseling ministries and, and Sunday school. I love how we're, how we're helping each other to grow in grace and godliness, how we're, we're ministering the gospel to each other. The grace of God in its varied forms. Peter talks about that, about that in 1 Peter chapter 4. Friends, one day we're going to experience all the fullness of the freedom. One day. But we get all ready to experience foretaste of it. And so I just encourage you, with the gospel, lay hold of it. Thank God for the freedom you have in Jesus Christ. And take that freedom to your besetting sins. Take that freedom to your fear. Take it to your failure. Take it to your shame. Lay hold of the gospel. It's what God has given to us to enjoy. Amen. God in heaven, you know the battles that we fight and the, the, the battles that we lose. Uh, but, oh God, I thank you that the battle that matters most is the battle that Jesus fought and won. And that because uh, he is free from sin, Lord, we have been set free from its dominion. We've been set free from its penalty and its power. We still, Lord, are called to battle, but not in our strength. Lord, you know our lives. You know where we live. You know what we think and say and do and feel and Lord, I pray that the reality of our Lord and Savior and what he's done and who we are would give us strength to fight and joy in the battle. And one day, Lord God, uh, we will be experiencing the full glory of our freedom. May that day come soon. In Christ's name we pray, amen.